So here we are, the seventh episode of season seven, the seventh. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give myself 50 cents here. There we go. Just kind of pocket that there for coming up with the same joke everyone else who's ever seen this episode has. As with before, I have, I had no memories of this episode at all. So I was walking in effectively blind. I'm starting to question if I ever watched some of these. They have made so little an impression that I'm just like, I, huh? And then who? And then what? So, this episode also came pretty close to me actually liking it. It failed uh, for two really big points, uh, one of which is Archer and the other which is Archer. But other than that, I did actually like this episode. So let's, let's, let's go through this sequentially. First, Paul comes in and is... This is one of the things I really like about this episode. Jolene Blaylock. I've been giving praise to her acting this whole series, and I continue to do so because she is just freaking nailing it. Her and Trenier are easy, ignoring the chemistry between the two, are easily two of the best actors on the show. I would probably put uh, Billingsby at the number three slot, and then probably Dominic Keating in the number four slot, because we've we've got some good acting going on here with these major uh, with these major characters. So she nails a very specific slice of being just just restrained. And Vulcan, you know, she remains Vulcan. She only loses control once, the whole episode. But she is so obviously, visibly bothered. I'm probably too small on the screen for you to really see what I'm doing with my face here, as I'm just doing little motions and movements as if you're not quite sure what expression to make. And there's just a little bit of a shudder as you move between things, as if you're just barely restraining yourself. She is so bothered by something. Archer, then, of course, well, he's not a dick, but he is definitely rude to her about it. So he's just like, okay, piss off. Thanks for being helpful as always. So then they have the briefing, and he finds out that he's doing this thing, and blah, blah, blah. Then he's sitting there, throwing his uh, water polo ball against the wall, and watching a game. Okay. She comes in, says, hey, I want to talk. This scene uh, might actually qualify for the worst scene in the episode, except for one other. So let's say second worst scene in the episode, because what happens is she is very visibly bothered by whatever's going on and obviously wants to talk about it. Archer keeps watching the game. No, really, watch the episode again. You'll see what I'm talking about. He stops bouncing the ball, but the game's still on. You can still hear the audio, and he's still paying attention to it. She has to physically move in the way of the of the TV so the you know the Dell monitor so that he actually has then finally begrudgingly reaches up and turns off the game because men am I right I want you to really picture how incredibly inconsiderate and rude that that is to do that imagine someone you at least have a some kind of working professional relationship with who cares about you and your opinion and they they walk over and they're like sir I, I, or ma'am or whatever you are I'd really like to to chat something's obviously bothering them and you're like yeah hang on hang on yeah go lakers does anyone root for the lakers anymore i don't know so that just made me want to slug him right in this stupid jaw then we find out that there's the agarin uh, a corrupt uh, organization which really wanted an alliance with the Vulcans, which they got. Wait, wait. Um, hang on, I thought there was this whole thing about humans and Vulcans only being the only alliance, which 
if you think about it, actually has a very significant amount to do with the overall political climate and, in fact, the Earth in, in, in desire to expand into the rest of the galaxy, which is something that also is a major theme of Season 4 and Season 3 and has been a re recurring element since the beginning of Season 1. But, 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 hang on, hang on. It is possible I'm wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. I'm in a bit of a mood because earlier today I made a comment and was extremely minorly wrong about it. But I was wrong about it and someone called me out on it made a big deal about it. And that, that always irritates me when that happens. You know what I'm talking about, I'm sure. I, I'm, I was wrong. I screwed up. I was actually referring to a company when I meant an individual. And so they were right to call me on that because I was wrong. And then they decided to make a big stink about how stupid and dumb I was by shoving it down in my throat. And I'm like, okay, dude, I already said I was wrong. Like, I've already accepted this. What do you want from me? I am not perfect. If I was, I wouldn't be here. <sighs> Sorry. Like I said, it's a pet peeve of mine. So it's possible I'm wrong about this. It's possible because I started thinking about it. I don't think in the show they've ever said that the Vulcan-Earth alliance is the only one. I've been saying that several times, and it is a narrative point that is brought up in the background, but I don't think it's ever been officially codified. At least not until Season 4 rolls around and we'll see what they do with it there. I'm not there yet, obviously. However, even if I'm wrong, oh, excuse me, even if I'm right, and there is just the Vulcan-Earth alliance... This still lines up with two other things. First of all, interventionism. As I've mentioned several times, the Vulcans have been interested in maintaining diplomatic connections and intervening in as many other races as freaking possible. Second of all, there's, no, there's a lot of different types of alliances. Like, I hate to pull it technically, but there is a difference between a military alliance, an economic alliance, an explorative alliance, right? Diplomatic ties could be considered an alliance, you know. Anyways... So they decide to, to get this alliance, and that's neat. And then 19 uh, agents don't come home. And obviously they, are, they gave in to temptation, so now they have to go get the fugitives. Wait, 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 what? Now I'm a moron. But, and you can tell because I'm not perfect and I keep screwing facts up. But I had to rewind, this is not a joke, I had to rewind that scene three times because it just jumped over things so quickly and so stupidly that it actually, I didn't get what they were saying. I, it just wasn't processing. See, what it is, is she mentions that some of their agents didn't come home. Archer then immediately says, I guess they fell to temptation, and then T'Pol confirms this by saying that they were fugitives. So in other words, Archer lunges to the presumption that they were corrupt and were evil, had become criminals, and had profited off of, you know, villainous acts. And then she confirms that by stating that they are fugitives. This presumption comes out of absolutely nowhere. And the way they frame it, it just bothers me, because it feels like a first draft of a dialogue. By the way, Berman and Braga wrote this episode. I even was bothered by the fact that she used the word fugitive, although because I do actually try to fact-check myself. Check this out. A fugitive, in a literal definition, is a person who has escaped from a place or is in hiding, especially to avoid arrest or prosecution. And the legal definition of a fugitive, which is actually different from that, slightly, is someone who is a criminal somewhere else. And and that's, that's it. It could be for anything whatsoever. So, for example... <coughs> oh, excuse me. One moment. Let's say you live in, I actually don't know if this works this way in, in Europe, so we'll use the United States. Let's say you live in Nevada, and 
you uh, forget to pay a parking ticket. Now, I stress forget, okay, because that's important to get across my point here. You then move to Missouri, okay? So you're now living in Missouri, and some day, one day people come by and arrest you. Missouri police come by to arrest you. The charge? Fugitive. Because you are now wanted in Nevada for the crime. So what the Missouri police charge you with is being a fugitive. They then pull you in and arrest you, and the sentence is you're sent off to Nevada. Your charge is cleared, you're no longer a fugitive, and you're sent off to Nevada where you face the actual charge. Sounds like... But that does still apply here. These people have stayed behind in this territory, and apparently in Riza, sure, and they are wanted back in Vulcan High Command. This is why I made that earlier point about you accidentally committing a crime, which is a thing you can do. Because, again, as he says later in this episode, he is guilty of not going back, regardless of other things. So she actually uses the word correctly. It's just, what the hell, Archer? So then, T'Pol wants Archer to come with. Why? I mean, I get why, but why? Archer himself then several times argues against it. No, why me? Take one of the Vulcans, God. And she's like, I need someone I can trust. So why are you bringing Archer? There's a concept which you have heard of before. I, I almost guarantee it. It's called telling not showing, or the, it, really, it's the, the dynamic between showing and telling. If I burst onto the scene, and I, I beat up a bunch of guys with my bare fists and managed to dodge their attacks, and then, oh, I got, I got brought down to the last second, but I managed to do too much, tons of damage, that is showing. You now see that I am a combat-capable person who can handle himself, even though I'm not invincible, because I did eventually lose. If I am, if the shot instead begins with me in uh, a jail cell or whatever, you know, it being being bound, and the other guys show up and say, God, he took out five of his pe our people before we even managed to slow him down. I know, right? And then he took five more before he would actually be able to detain him. Good thing we got him. That's telling, not showing. Now, it's not always about the action. This is the wonderful beauty of showing, because one of the other things you can do instead of that is, let's say you've got like a van kind of a set, right? And that's where they're taking me back, the character that I'm playing, you know, Bob Rambo Dude. And so Rambo Dude, he's bound, and he's not all that bloodied, but he is he does have a few cuts and injures, and it looks like he's you know, he's just kinda a little exhausted and his shirt is torn in several places. He's clearly been in the middle of a combat scene, you can tell just by looking at him. The van is also conspicuously empty. There's several slots, like there's seats, where people should be sitting, and there's only like two or three people there, instead of the full ten that should be there. And they look nervous. And they keep looking over at me, and looking back over at me, and then go back. Once again, this is showing, not telling. And thus, we now have, you know, the same general exposition, without the added expense of doing the stunt work, and the visual effects work, and the choreography, and all that fun stuff, right? Now... <laughs> Forgive me for geeking out. I absolutely love the creation, the behind-the-scenes of media. So I've been studying this since I was a freaking kid. I got it from my dad, for the most part. Uh, he still, to this day, literally to this very day, he will message me with things about, like, just behind-the-scenes material. Uh, usually it's stuff I actually already know, but he's still into it, and that's awesome to hear. And, you know, I, I just gush back and forth with him about it. So what we have here is the exact freaking opposite, to get back to the episode. 
Archer has not earned T'Pol's trust. At all. However, we are told many times that Archer is very close to T'Pol and vice versa, and there's a big bond of trust there. This is telling, not showing. We are told this because the character walks up and says, I need someone I can trust. And it's you. For some reason. This goes back to my bigger problem with Archer. I know I just talked about that. Um, like two episodes ago, I think, at this point. And this is, this is a growing issue. Especially with season two. It wasn't a big issue in season one because a lot of the episodes focused away from Archer. But Archer's taking a lot more of the front page in season two so far. And as a direct consequence, his issues are coming more to light. I wonder if the actual creators noticed that and used that to adjust going forwards. Because I don't remember disliking Archer in season three and four. We'll see. Anywho. <clears throat> so, hey, you should come on down. Okay. And then there's this, you know, the the Star Wars Cantina scene, and he sees her, and and they, they manage to capture Senator Kelly. Oh, whew, we got him. Mutants are saved forever. Mino starts arguing his thing about being mislabeled and Vulcans are the bad guys and all this fun stuff, and he spins this whole sob story. Now, the reason I'm saying this like this is because this is one of the best parts of the episode. Minos, Menos? Senator Kelly and his discussions. He, he does, The actor does actually a really good job of it. He, he nails the role as guest star here. He has a lot of dialogue, and he has a lot, decent amount of scenes just with T'Pol in particular. Then... To Paul is absolutely brilliant here. You know, she goes and checks the ship, and this is, again, showing, not telling. We don't find out until much later that she had the memory erasure for, the, for what she did. Instead, we get the implication based on how they show us what's going on. So you can see why this episode just kind of... Huh? Um, and she rushes out, and she goes over the acid, and she, she looks in the ship, and she comes back, and everything's fine, and I need to talk to you alone. And she start asks, starts asking questions. And again, she's so obviously bothered by this, which is probably why he was able to pick up on that and manipulate her with it, because she is obviously bothered. And I have... I, I, I just want to gush, because Blaylock really nails the performance. Uh, Jerry Ryan plays Seven of Nine, uh, and she is a good actress. I, I don't want to say great, because I, I just realized there's such a gradient of acting quality. But she is a good actress, and whenever she's allowed to actually act over on Voyager, she shines. I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing her in Picard whenever we get there, because she's good. The fact that she's in the cat suit and is sexualized like crazy does not change the fact that Seven is an interesting character played by a good actress. You probably see why I'm bringing this up here. Because Blaylock manages to portray all of this beautifully. The bothering, the worrisome, the lack of faith in Vulcan command, and the issues with, with her guilt, and how she doesn't know how to deal with it. And that makes sense, by the way. She doesn't know how to deal with the emotion. Because Vulcans, especially at this particular era, don't seem to actually master their emotions like you know later Vulcans would. Instead, it's more about pure suppression. Now, we have a term for that, we squishy, dumb, stupid humans. We call it bottling it up. And that is never good. It's good temporarily. It's a good way to compartmentalize so you can deal with it later. That is true. But if you just take this horrible emotion and bottle it up, that's bad. 
If you just leave it bottled up, well, that's worse. And that's what she's effectively doing here. She literally had a, a psychic surgery done on her brain in order to bottle up her response to killing someone. Now, that may sound strange. I'm with that, though. I'd like to think that a good person would never like killing, even if it's necessary. Even if it is correct and right, a good person should never just be okay with killing. They should do it. Way too often, Hollywood tends to do this thing where the good guys will never kill because they're the good guys, and that's stupid. But they should kill when they need to, and then it should bug them. This is, I know I've talked about this a lot, this is the difference between a Justice Lord and a Cisco. A Justice Lord looks at that and is like, what? He, he had to die. A Cisco goes, and then is just bothered by it, oh my god, and, and he's just, and he's dead, and he's not going to, coming back, I suppose I should just kill everyone that runs in my way now, right, shouldn't I? I mean, that's just what I should do. I'm just standing here on the mountain, flinging down my bolts from on high. God, I just, you just, and the, Right? It's the difference. And Blaylock is clearly more of a Cisco in this case. She did make the correct call in shooting that guy. She did. From everything we know, ignoring the twist at the end, which pisses me off, we're not there yet, and ignoring the fact that even in her memories he was drawing a weapon, shooting was the right call. Now, you might say shooting for the leg or something would be the more correct call, but being honest, in the moment, with less than a second to react, she aimed and fired. When I say aimed, I mean I think she aimed at him, as in his entire body. I don't think it occurred to her that to kill him in the moment. I think it was more a reaction to the threat. It was probably center of mass, because it's the easiest thing to aim for. You know, we think of the whole body, we aim for the very middle, which is right about here. That's probably what she did. So, she didn't have the military expertise and the precision necessary to, in less than a second, aim for the leg, or something similar. You know, aim for the gun, for example. So I'm completely with all of this. And I gush about this so much because it's just such a good character piece. And the dilemma, the threat of the weak, is nothing more than her own sense of self-worth and respect, and her dealing with the emotions of what she's already dealt with. I point this out, I know this is kind of like saying water's wet, to once again reinforce the idea that you don't actually have to have a threat of the weak. You can, and there's good ways to do it. But you can also have it just be a piece about one person and them dealing and grappling with something, and we get stuff like this. And it's awesome, and it's wonderful, and I, and I just keep gushing about it. <sighs> Let's talk about the B-plot really quick. It's literally only two scenes. Comedy. He's, he's Tucker can't command. He's a terrible leader. He's an awful captain. Isn't that funny? He's also a terrible liar, apparently. So first, hey, I want to inoculate people. They're going to have headache and nausea and diarrhea. Um, so can I do that? Ask me later. Okay. Um, so about the... the, the I, actually, God, I don't even remember what Reed asks for. I really don't. Reed asks for something. I'll get back to you. I don't want to take the engines offline. Tucker, you have commanded before. And you are the third, in, third officer, the, the second officer, excuse me, of this ship. What the crap? But it's funny, because Neelix can't cook. 
<laughs> so that then leads to him having to portray Archer. Okay. I'm, I'm willing to forgive that scene. Uh, did I say betray? I meant portray. I'm not sure which one I said. <laughs> They're fairly similar in English. He, he is masquerading as Archer to the Vulcan captain. Uh, you look awfully young for a captain. Yeah, you know, good living. What can you do? Yeah, uh, the Admiral gave me a message for you. Cal beats Sanford 7-3. to three. I'll be sure to let him know. Let who know? Uh, it's top secret stuff. Thanks. Cut the channel. Cut the channel. That did make me laugh, even though it's really stupid. Forrest could have sent a random bit string information directly to Enterprise, not through the Vulcan, in order to just get that there. We have the echo buoys. He did get a call from Forrest earlier, remember. So there's no reason for that to exist. It's just there for a quick filler scene. But if you're going to do filler, at least make it something interesting. And that did get a chuckle out of me, so I'll give you that, which is good, because I needed that chuckle to swallow the rest of the episode. See, Archer starts to get weirdly and unreasonably antagonistic towards Senator Kelly. I don't remember his frickin' name, and I don't care at this point. And I do stress that. He basically acts as though he, they're trying to capture Hitler... No, really. That is that is the portrayal. This this man, he, he this is not your job. You're sent to take him in. You're not supposed to listen to him. You're supposed to do your orders and follow it. This criminal. And he just got that attitude across everything. And I just found myself going, Jesus, Archer. What the crap? And then at like the the second time he reemphasized it, I was like, Oh, he's actually guilty. He's actually a horribly evil criminal who is Hitler, because Archer is always right. This might be the worst example of that so far. Archer, out of absolutely nowhere, insists that this man is a horrific, evil criminal, and reality bends and warps its way to make sure that he is, in fact, a horribly evil criminal. To, to, to you know, corrupt and... and, and just, oh, my God. And, and the reveal doesn't even come towards pretty much the end of the episode. And in my opinion, it absolutely destroys any impact the episode has. It ends on a terrible note. And then, of course, you know, I trust you, right? Trust, trust, I do, I do. You can tell that because I'm saying it to the camera over and over. That's how you know it's true. Ah! But then, hang on, I'm not even done yet. The dilemma as he's leaving. You know, you're not going to shoot me. You realize these things have a stun setting, right? In fact, there were probably about seven times this episode, that's not an exaggeration, where just switching the gun to stun would have completely solved all dilemmas. That's why they didn't do it, but that's stupid. I could at least forgive to Paul not thinking of that. What about Archer? What about Travis, who, by the way, despite being here, is a non-character because he's because main three are the only people who get any character stuff. Well, main five, but whatever. So they don't stun him, and they don't mention they're not bringing him back to kill him, and they don't. And he's evil, and, and Archer is right, and she trusts Archer. I don't want to descend into hyperbole, so I'm going to say something straight. I think I could write a better episode of Voyager. Voyager wow! <laughs> better episode of Enterprise than this. And I do not have a high uh, uh, valuation. <laughs> high image? I, oh God, what's the word I'm thinking of? See, this is why I'd be a terrible writer. I don't think well of my own writing. So when I say without hyperbole that I could write a better episode than this, 
That is an insult. It's not a lamentation. There's too much good stuff there. The the Paul stuff is gold, and her acting absolutely nails it. And the guy who plays, you know, Senator Kelly Kelly, what was his freaking name? Did I write his Minos Minos? He's awesome. So the episode is salvaged, but God, this one pissed me off. Did any of you remember this one when you got into it? I don't know. I don't even know what ne- the next week's episode is. We're really seeing some season two stuff going on here. I'll see you next time, guys. Cool.